Welcome to the Friday edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 425, with the podcast and the YouTube video. I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm Gavin Ashenden. It's the 3rd of August, and as far as I'm concerned, this is the convalescent edition. Okay, we start each episode now because we're so old with health updates. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't catch the last episode, George is doing fine, still a little tired. Keep him in your prayers. Gavin went for a little walk today, so give us uh, an update on the hip after walking. Oh, well, one's leg gets very big and very tight and very painful. But, but the real episode this week was the nurse who came to take out my staples. Now, I, I couldn't see my staples because they're behind. Yeah. And there were about 25 of them. Kevin, they were huge. And they were the size that they're, they're in the shape of a, of a large letter M. And, and she said to me, the, me, I'm afraid these are embedded quite deep in the muscle. And they, and they were. And and you know the the, the I, I I hugged the couch and I didn't say a single word that began with F and ended in something difficult. Did, did you say, For hold sake. your tongue? Because there's sometimes when I'm in pain that this thing just goes all you know flabbergasted. Kevin, I once had a urology examination and I failed to hold my tongue and I was so embarrassed because the nurse knew what, who and what I was. I've ever since been determined that I, I want notice of impossible pain and I then use every every effort indeed to say, for goodness sake. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes we can be very creative with our responses. That's good. Um, well, we're glad you're healing well. We ask that uh, people keep you in your prayer, keep the you in their prayers. Um, it's Friday. The mouth doesn't work well. I'm sorry, Gavin. <laughs> yeah, it's getting late here. I know it's really late where you are. Um, let's talk a little bit about fun stuff first. Um, I've been reading all this Pope Francis stuff, and I, I wanted to come up with a term for him. And I'm going to call him Pope Donald. He likes to say the first thing that comes to his mind. And I know that you follow him as well. And uh, like me, you're probably a fan. Um, what do you think about the latest uh, edict dogma coming from Rome? He's a fascinating man. And as you know, the Catholic community is divided as to whether he's the best thing since sliced bread or whether he's the Antichrist. Yeah. There are some Catholic prophecies that, uh, he, that, that, he is, that we've had the last authentic pope. Mm -hmm. And the difficulty here is that, that um, there's a combination of two factors which is very destabilizing. One is he has a pastor's heart. He's ministered in some terrible places and he's got a great compassion for broken people. Uh, and in that sense, uh, I think it's a very valuable and worthwhile um, charism to bring to the situation. But he works like a diocesan bishop. Whether or not you can bring this, this pastor's heart to the pontificate and get away with it is another matter. Because the, the global situation is one not so much of speaking to people who are broken and wounded by the church, though it is a good thing to do that, but to take the temperature of the conflict of, 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 of across the globe, and to my mind, and I think Pope Benedict's too, the forces ranged against the church are so powerful and so dangerous. Benedict wondered whether there would even be a Catholic church above the surface, rather like the uh, Rob Dreyer's Benedict right. option. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, there's a fear that, that Francis, in attempting to modernize and, and, and make the church more human, is actually playing into the hands 
hands of uh, the progressive forces because what, what the church needs to do is actually batten down the hatches and hold on to its traditional virtues with all the grip it can manage. This is not the time to win people with smiles and humanitarianism, people say. Well, I think one of the bigger issues uh, also facing Pope Francis is nobody can remember a pope before Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. You know, he will forever be uh, kind of the pope of the last generation. Uh, the, yeah. the Ronald Reagan pope, the Margaret Thatcher pope, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the time of the Cold War. He forever will live as this kind of, uh, I guess he's almost a saint now, uh, you know, type pope. And mm. everybody else is going to live in that shadow for, you know, at least a generation. Well, I think that's true. And in one sense, all Christians all over the world were very blessed to have him as a foremost Christian leader. Um, and, and he, above all, was one of the popes who saw no need at all to accommodate secularism mm-hmm. because he had lived under the heel of of, of Marxism 1.0 That's right. uh, and I think the great virtue of John Paul II was he said you know was to say the way Christianity survives is by getting back to its roots not by accommodating an audience. Last week we talked a bit about uh, the inquiry into Bishop Ball that's going on over in London. I thought I could follow up because it's still, the inquiry is kind of still going. And now that people are talking uh, on the blogs and around the uh, internet about what type of, um, I would say, punishment uh, Archbishop George Carey, former Archbishop of Canterbury, should have in regards to his role in this. Kevin, I think there are, there are two issues. There is uh, George Carey punishment and then there's the issue of how the present regime deals with homosexuality so we'll deal with Kerry first sure um bishop peter hancock who is in charge of safeguarding was interviewed on radio 4 about the demand for lord Kerry to have his permission to officiate taken away from him which is what welby did a few months ago right and then in the last he took it away and he got it back from another bishop so in the last couple of months the Bishop of the diocese he lives in, the Bishop of Oxford, mm. quietly gave it back to him. Right. Then when people discovered it had been given back to him, there was a hullabaloo. And um, the victim said, by giving back Carey his permission to officiate and restoring him, you're not taking seriously our pain. So Bishop Peter Hancock went onto the radio on the BBC and he said, I do hear the pain of the victims. This is a very delicate balancing act. One, of course, has to pay attention to people who've been abused but there's always a question of how far one allows the pain of any victim to drive other judgments and criteria in a situation so peter hancock was saying the the pain of the victims is supreme here and carrie should not have been given permission to officiate the bishop of oxford said uh, carrie is elderly he's apologized he made some mistakes they were quite serious, but he's owned up to them. We know what they were. He himself is not a danger to anybody and never will be. Mm-hmm. And he lives in a small rural parish where, as a member of the congregation, as a priest and bishop there, he takes services. We see no reason to punish the congregation and to punish him any further. He can have his permission to officiate. So we have two worldviews, really. Um, do you, One involves the propitiation of people's suffering and the other involves the principles by which 
uh, you take other criteria into consideration. Uh, personally, I, I think the Bishop of Oxford. Keep. I'm sorry. I pressed the wrong button. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm not a master of Apple Watch. I wanted to turn off notifications. So you know what I did? I clicked Find My Phone. Sorry. Oh. Well, <laughs> bing, 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 bing. <laughs> but it is one of the most beautiful facilities on the Apple Watch. I, I use it regularly, <laughs> but know. not in the middle of a broadcast. No. <laughs> My apologies, Bishop. Please continue. <laughs> well, you you are forgiven, and we may have to consider taking your license away in case you've upset too many people. I, I, yeah. <laughs> but on the basis on the basis that we value your competence more than we value the pain of those non-Apple Watch users, <laughs> let's move on. So uh, I, I think that the, the Bishop of Oxford was right, um, and I, I can understand why why Bishop Han Peter Hancock said what he did. But I'm glad to say that we have two views. Uh, he's expressed his sympathy for the pain of of the victims, and indeed, one has to go on doing that because it's not just the abuse itself. But as I wrote in an article this week, um, the victims have been saying that the, much worse than the sexual abuse at the hands of Peter Ball was our institutional abuse at the hands of an incompetent, uncaring and, and rule-bound church. That hurt us worse. Um, I'd say, but you don't hear Peter Hancock saying, I think I'll resign on the basis that our safeguarding for the last three years has caused all this pain, so I better step aside and let somebody else do it. Mm. Um, I think we have to have a consistency of, of criteria for the propitiation of pain, and when the Church of England hasn't managed it yet. No, and I don't want to ask Archbishop Canterbury uh, Justin Welby, whether or not I should be punished. I think he would have a different opinion than you. <laughs> uh, a person <laughs> a person who was jailed uh, for trying to record... Oh, oh, Kevin, Kevin, the, 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 the second issue. Oh, yes, sorry. The second part of the... Just because um, the, the other thing that the, the, the Peter Ball inquiry threw up was uh, the issue of, of uh, abuse... And the other two elements, um, paedophilia and homosexuality. Sure. Now, in fact, Ball's youngest victims, I think, were in their mid-teens. Uh, and this counts as, as child abuse, quite rightly. Um, but one of the... The, the, um, the inquiry was desperate to uh, find a link between a traditionalist view on homosexuality, as represented by George Carey, which was going to suggest repression, and mm -hmm. that it was repression... That was the, the problem that uh, caused Peter Ball's abuse. But of course, um, for commentators on male homosexuality, one of the other characteristics is promiscuity. Um, and so I, I found a number of people writing to me during this last week, having watched our broadcast, saying, we wish you'd say a little bit more about this because there's a complete silence. And also the, the, the changing culture in the Church of England. So one person wrote to me saying, uh, in your old diocese, the Diocese of Chichester, where Martin Warner uh, is bishop, uh, who appears to take a an opaque view on matters of gay priests who practice. That is, he says nothing at all about it. One of the changes in the last few years is that we now get prayer cards for ordinations, and the prayer cards are for male priests who say, please pray for me and my male partner. So vicarages are increasingly full of 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 male partnered clergy um, without anyone asking any any questions about it. It's part of this quiet change of culture that Welby is presiding over. And I was very well, moved and, by... And we, by should, we should let people know that this 
uh, kind of uh, don't ask, don't tell policy is only three and a half, four years old. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. we have two bishops, as we've discussed before, one mm-hmm. one male who lives with his partner and one female who lives with her partner. And again, the assumption is uh, that they are going to be chaste and celibate. Um, but that's really quite quite a, a heavy assumption to uh, to carry off. And so somebody wrote to me, this is a, a, an Anglican priest who's single um, and straight. Uh, but but he said, Gavin, I was subject to unwar- unwanted pressure to have sex by two, two curates during my parish placement when I was a young Anglican seminarian. I complained to the vicar at the end of my placement debrief, and I was rounded on angrily by the canon and told I was a troublemaker, and what's more, I'd failed the placement. That meant I had to do another placement. During this one, I was also placed with a vicar and his boyfriend, who shared a bedroom and had to endure the nightly ritual of the vicar kissing his male nurse boyfriend on the forehead, announcing, I'm going up now, sweetie. This time I kept my mouth shut and I passed the placement. In those days, there was a don't ask, don't tell unspoken policy. And that is what has led to so many abuses having taken place under the radar. I endured a number of similar incidents where clergy tried it on with me, but fortunately, by the grace of God, I declined all such attempts. Well, um, I think one of the things that we, we, we're bound to report is that uh, given that there is a culture of male homosexual promiscuity, the don't ask, don't tell com- uh, uh, factor, along with this, 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 sl- this sudden, relatively speaking, change in the, uh, in the acceptance of homosexuality in, in the Church of England following on the heels of tech, is something that's going to have a profound influence and was not unrelated to the Peter Ball abuse uh, elements. No, I have to agree. Uh, one of the biggest lies is this don't ask, that, don't tell policy because they would never extend this to a man and a woman who wanted to live together in the same parsonage. Um, and that's why it's a lie. You know, if you can't extend it to heterosexual uh, situations, you are telling one of the biggest lies in human history. Sorry. Now can I move on to the other guy? No. <laughs> you can now. Okay. You can. After accusing Let's the greatest it. lies in human history, I'm always in so much trouble. It is what it is. Um, we haven't covered it too much uh, because it's, in my mind, it's not a Christian story or the story's not about a Christian. Uh, there's a gentleman over there, Tommy Robinson, who is an activist, uh, uh, a troublemaker, some of his beliefs are uh, asinine, uh, crazy, and get him in a lot of trouble. However, we notice a decline in the freedom of speech in Europe and England over the last dozen years or so. And this kind of makes us a, a Christian story because it affects Christians in the long term and the short term. Uh, Tony Robinson was uh, caught outside a courthouse filming uh, potential uh alleged pedophiles who happened to be Islam and uh, he had done this before and was ordered by a judge not to do it again or he'd be uh, thrown in jail well guess what he did it again and he was immediately thrown in jail and my difficulty with the story is not that he was attacked viciously by Muslims or the Muslims were throwing him under the bus or the Muslims were persecuting him it was the government of England and the police that were persecuting this man 
And I thought uh, we could do a little bit of an update because now he's been released. There's a, a well-known academic called Douglas Murray. Mm -hmm. And Douglas Murray has written a book about the, uh, the, the dire consequences of Islamification. Uh, he's therefore very unpopular, but he's a very careful, well-spoken and erudite commentator. And he doesn't give people many easy targets. Tommy Robinson is, if you like, at the, at the other end of the social scale. He's, a, he's a, an ex-plumber. Uh, he's a backstreet boy. He was a thug. He was involved in some right-wing political movements, which pe people will never forgive him for. Um, but if you read his autobiography, you discover that the things that the media tar him with are not true. Mm -hmm. However, they continue to tar him with them. Um, you can't, you dare not appear to be a Tommy Robinson supporter at this stage in the English culture wars because um, the, the associations that he brings up and that the media make sure are brought up all the time are so toxic that there is no chance of having a reasonable discussion. But I think Tommy Robinson represents for us a canary down, down a coal mine. So you described very, very accurately what happened. Uh, he, he, was, he made some stupid mistakes. Uh, he technically jeopardized the, the trial of some a large ring of alleged Muslim paedophiles. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing that's come to the public attention is it, it took five hours to have from him being arrested for breach of the peace, which is about the smallest thing you can ever be arrested for, which was then escalated into a breach of his bail conditions earlier, yes, sure. to, be, to, being, to being incarcerated in a jail in Hull. Not many people make it from a street arrest to, to, to in jail in five hours. So that was that was unusually precipitate. And you have to ask whether or not there was some kind of political motivation behind it. And the answer is almost certainly yes. But after that, something else happened to him. He was moved from Hull to Rugby. Now, in Hull, there are a number of Muslim prisoners, but um, about 10 percent or so. But in Rugby, it's a Muslim majority prison. Uh, and so he was immediately moved there for, for no reason that anyone was given and then put into solitary confinement. He says on release that he hadn't talked about his previous spell in solitary confinement because he didn't want to play the victim. But this was his second spell and he says that solitary confinement took a toll on his emotional health. He was in a, in a prison cell for 23 and a half hours a day uh, and the Muslim prisoners kept on taunting him they were going to poison him. So he didn't eat any prison food. He used his 12 pounds, $18 a week to buy a tin of tuna and a piece of fruit a day. And consequently, he's left prison after two months looking thin, gaunt, and frankly, psychologically wounded. Now, the question is, why would somebody uh, arrested for breach of the priests and put in prison for 13 months of bail provision be treated in a way that undoubtedly most people would say breaches human rights. And the answer is, well, Tommy Robinson claims the answer is that the government are setting out to make an example of him and to break him. There don't appear to be any other explanations on the table at the moment. So we, we, we wait to hear from them. One of the things I saw in the press was that the, um, the government did denied he'd been put into solitary confinement. Well, you know, we'll soon find out it's either true or it isn't. But I think the reason it matters is because there are increasingly no-go areas in Europe. There are no-go areas in Sweden, uh, in Germany, uh, and and uh, in Britain. And France. Um, but for the and France. Mm -hmm. But for the justice system to become a no-go area, um, 
and for, for the people who are arbiters of justice and, uh, and most importantly free speech because Christians depend upon free speech in order to share the gospel no, the treatment of Tommy Robinson I think should should set the most serious alarm bells ringing for us because what they do to Tommy Robinson in one year they may do to us three or four years later uh, but when I say it's them doing it it's not Islam doing it it's not the Muslims doing it it is oh, the indeed. government of England doing this, and that just drives me crazy. That you know they're they're creating terror where there was none. Well, <sighs> it's it's not the government; it's the administration. I mean, the civil servants and the judiciary. Um, but 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 one of the one of the things that Douglas Murray says in his book is, uh, in terms of Islamification of Europe. Look, you need to take it very seriously when, um, uh, when if you like the the allegiance between cultural Marxism which gives Islam a free pass on the grounds that it has been victimized mm -hmm. by male white heterosexual Christian culture when when this when this alliance has taken over uh, medicine education the judiciary the prisons the police force um, uh, and the media uh, you have to be very concerned for the exercise of freedom of speech and i think the robinson case means that we should be very concerned for the exercise of free speech we talked about this before and tell me if anything's changed uh before two years ago i could walk down the street in london and criticize buddha no big deal i could walk down and criticize any bishop in the church of england nobody would say a word i could criticize christ himself uh and insult him in front of anybody and uh, nobody would say boo however if I got up the gumption and the courage to criticize Muhammad uh, in certain places in London and uh, you know, certainly Birmingham other places Manchester I would be in heap big trouble has that changed Uh, well, no, it's got worse. The the Metropolitan Police have, have disclosed their guidelines for a definition of Islamophobia, and it, it includes not just uh, criticizing Muhammad, but making any link between Islam and violence. In other words, simply to recount history would make you uh, guilty of Islamophobia and would allow you to be arrested. But do you remember when Rowan Williams said a few years ago, the day will come? Um, when the judiciary take a, have to take account of Sharia law in this country. Right. And there's a huge that. outburst saying, no, it won't, and you shouldn't have said it, etc. Well, this week, for the first time, in the family court, a judge decided that Sharia marriage had to be recognized by the English legal system. Now, he did it for a good reason. He did it in order to give a complaining wife some protection against her bullying husband. But in order to produce a local piece of justice he broke down the dividing war between Islamic uh, jurisprudential principles and English common law and it's a bit like the Holland the dike in Holland uh, once it starts leaking the whole thing is going to give way so yeah. again we move step by step incrementally forward I want to thank people for watching but uh, once again I forgot what was at top of the list top of the list <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way I work on Friday. Uh, if you like this episode, click like. If you didn't like this episode, click like again. It, it drives Google crazy. 
please share this episode. If you want to comment on this episode, do so. If you've not subscribed on YouTube or subscribed on the podcast, please click subscribe. Um, Gavin, have a great week. I'm Kevin Carlson. I'm Gavin Ashenden, and you've been listening to episode 425 of Anglican Unscripted. <laughs>